the pastors have been working on a preaching series uh, for this fall called Jesus Friend of Sinners. And as we've been talking in the staff meetings, one of the things that we've wanted to do in the next months and over the next year, and we'll talk more about it in, in uh, months to come, and more, more specifically, you'll hear more about it uh, in different parts of the church starting in January. But one of the things we want to do is we want to see ourselves aware of the fact of the needs of our church and what it takes for us to raise our children to fear and love God. It's not an easy job. If you think about the time you start having children to the time you end up having your last child leave the home, my wife and I, in our situation, will probably have children in our home that we are actively raising in our family some 32 to 35 years, depending on if Kimmy ever moves out. (laughs) Right? 35 years is likely the time if you have a good number of children that God blesses you with. We had three. They just came eight years apart. But if you have five children, 35 years of working, raising your children, this is a task for you. This is something to give your lives to. And so this is part of our evangelism. This is part of our reaching out. We reach out to our children. We love our children, and we introduce them to Jesus Christ. But then there are other people besides our children. How many of you are aware that other people exist besides your children? If you did not know that, we will tell you. Other people exist who need to know Jesus Christ besides our children. And so as we've talked about what we would do to help, our, help all of us to orient our minds and our hearts to gathering people to Jesus, we decided to have a sermon series called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And so that's what this sermon, that's actually what Pastor Bailey's sermon last week is about, although we didn't have the really cool thing on the uh, television screen in the lobby last week, that that's because Jody's a slacker. Okay. <laughs> If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 7. It's going to be up on the screen behind me as well. We're going to be reading verses 29 through 50, but not all at once, in two chunks actually. Um, Last week, Pastor Bailey preached from Luke 15, verses 1 to 7, and this was about the Pharisees being angry because the tax collectors and sinners were coming to hear Jesus. And so Jesus tells the parable of the shepherd going out to find the one lost sheep, if you remember the sermon. And it was very encouraging. And if you didn't get to hear it, I would encourage you to go online and listen to it. You're able to listen to the sermon online. And uh, it's very clear. And it was very encouraging to me to hear that sermon last week, remembering my inability that the shepherd comes and gathers the sheep and puts him on his shoulders. The sheep doesn't climb on his shoulders. The sheep doesn't run to the shepherd. The shepherd lays hold of the sheep. And this morning we're looking at a passage earlier in the book of Luke, and it concerns Jesus' interaction with a certain Pharisee and a certain immoral woman. 
But leading into that, you have Jesus speaking with the disciples of John the Baptist, answering their questions that they had brought from John. And then he's referencing John's ministry, and he says, John is the greatest man born of woman. And then he said, but the man, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. And so he's setting them up to show them that John was great, but you Pharisees rejected him. And this is where we take up in the reading in verse 29. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. To what then shall I compare the men of this generation, and what are they like, says Jesus? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another, and they say, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Now I want to interrupt here for a moment. As we look at this passage, before we go on to the actual account of Jesus and Simon, seeing what immediately precedes it, we need to understand this context of what he's saying to these people about the reality of the kingdom and the men of that time. And so it all hinges on our understanding of what Jesus meant when he introduces two types of children in the passage that I just read. The first type of children that he introduces are the children who sit in the marketplace. And he's basically saying, you Pharisees, you lawyers, you're like the children who sit in the marketplace. He's saying you're like children who are playing a game. We've all seen children play games, right? But the, ver the basic game that these children are playing, the Pharisees and the lawyers, they're playing a game of misdirection and obfuscation. They're trying to Everything that's presented to them, they're trying to say, no, 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 look over here. And so in the game, the truth comes to them and calls them to repent. And the truth is brought by John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes and he says, repent. And in their game, they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. He must have a demon. He must have a demon. And then the truth comes to them and, and it says, Party, rejoice, because God has made provision for your sin in Jesus Christ. He goes to sinners and he says, rejoice, I forgive you of your sins. And they look at him and say, wait a minute, this guy, he's a glutton and a drunkard. You see, all the time, if they're presented with, if they're presented with uh, repent, they want dance, dance, revolution. You guys know Dance Revolution? I don't know it. I could try to do a few steps. Is it something you do with a video game? I've heard of it, and so you dance with it, right? I should have Jake do this. We always tell Jake he needs to, if he gets too, too serious, we say, Jake, we want to see Mr. Bojangles. You can't say that to him. Jake, Jake are you here? Oh, he's in there hiding. Okay. And so what? They say, 
John comes to them and he says, repent. He's being serious. He's saying, acknowledge your sin. Repent of your sin. And they say, oh, no, no, we want dance, dance, revolution. You know, you must have a demon. And Jesus comes to him and says, you can party. You can dance because I've brought forgiveness of sins. And they say, oh, we're playing funeral now. Now's the time we play funeral. Always looking the other way. Always trying to misdirect because they don't want to deal with and look at the truth. These are the Pharisees, willing to acknowledge the sins of others, but never willing to deal with their own sins. And so they can't deal with Jesus or John, or anything that's true. There's a parable where, in Matthew 21, where Jesus tells a parable of a a man who has two sons, and he goes to one son and he says, He says, uh, go out in the field to work. And the son says, no. Then his father leaves, and the son feels bad. I shouldn't have told my father no. And so he goes out to the field and works. And then he goes to his second son, the man, and he says, go out in my field and work. And the son says, yes, father. Yes, sir, I'll do it. The father leaves, and the son says, eh, I'll play Dance Dance Revolution. I'll do whatever else but I'm not going to go to the field and work. And so Jesus says, which one of the two did the will of the Father? And the people listening said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of heaven before you, that is you Pharisees, for John came to you in the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe him. They were so bad that not only would they not recognize the truthfulness of John's message to them, but when they saw people who they should have had compassion on, when they saw people confessing their sins and being set free from sin in their lives, they weren't even glad about it. They wouldn't even acknowledge the goodness of people confessing their sins. That's really bad. That's really bad. In fact, in several places, Jesus talks about the Pharisees, and he says not only, as he did in that passage, say, you wouldn't even acknowledge that this was good. In several places, he says, you actually don't allow those who are entering in to get in. So not only are you not acknowledging that them coming into the kingdom is good, but you stand in front of the door and obstruct them from coming in. That's what you Pharisees do. You actually put a a barrier between them and the kingdom of God. And then he says the same things to the lawyers in Luke 11. You don't enter in and you hinder those who are entering. So again, you have people who want to know God, who want to be reconciled to God, and then there are these children, the first kind of children in our text, who are saying, no, 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 no. We're going to misdirect, we're going to obfuscate, we're not going to acknowledge the reality of sin. Because really, if we acknowledge the reality of John's message of repentance, and we acknowledge the reality of Jesus' message of reconciliation to God, then we have to acknowledge ourselves as sinners. And they weren't ready to do that. There's no way they wanted to do that. So they're going to stand in the way and not let anybody in. Jesus called them sons of hell. That's what he called them. Sons of hell. 
And he said that they were good at going and making disciples who would become a double scoop some son of hell. Do you understand? Twice as much a son of hell as they were. And that's what they were good at. But the text goes on and it goes to the end of the text and it says the other kind of children that are referenced and they are the children of wisdom. And it says that wisdom is vindicated by her children. She is upheld. She is proved by her children. Do you guys remember when math used to have numbers and things in it? Okay. When I was young and we learned math, we, we did an equation. And you did an equation, and it was this kind of plus minus times divided, right? And then you went over here, and you had to show a proof. And the proof was supposed to show in, its, in a separate equation that you were right in the first equation. The mathematician's nodding his head. I'm vindicated. But that's what our text says about wisdom. It says that her children prove her to be true. And what Jesus is saying is that the sinners, the people, and the tax collectors prove wisdom to be true. And they are her children. And so if you look at at Proverbs chapter 8, if you want to see information about wisdom in the Bible, you turn to the book of Proverbs. And if you look at Proverbs chapter 8, it says, verse 1, wisdom Uh, or I'm sorry, does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice on top of the heights beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gates at the opening to the city, at the entrance to the doors, she cries out, to you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men, O naive ones, understand prudence, and O fools, understand wisdom. Listen, for I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things, for my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is no crooked or pervert, per, there is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. No obfuscation. Wisdom doesn't have children who obfuscate, who misdirect, who won't acknowledge the truth. Verse 32, now therefore, O sons, listen to me. For blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. And so you have the children of this world who are the Pharisees. And they are the ones who sin against wisdom. And it says they hate wisdom and that they love death. But those who are wisdom's children find life and obtain favor from the Lord. That's what the tax collectors and sinners, those people, did. They obtained favor and they loved the Lord. Wisdom is vindicated by all her children. 
And in this case this morning, it's important to realize the connection between those who are the children of wisdom and the sinners. And remember that Jesus loves sinners. Now let's go to the rest of the morning's main text. We've got the context. Let's go to Simon and the woman at his house. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she had learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You, do not anoint, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little. Now remember that verse, because we're going to come back to that particularly. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Simon was a Pharisee. We talked about, I talked about the Pharisees before I just read this passage. You get an understand, Simon was one of those guys. And for some reason, he wanted Jesus to come to dinner. Now, the text doesn't say why he wanted Jesus to come to dinner. He maybe wanted to catch Jesus in something like trap him. You understand? He might have wanted to trap him some way. Maybe he wanted to have Jesus come to dinner so that he could identify with Jesus and his friends could say, Look, he has Jesus and at his house, and it makes his house look better because he brings a, a popular or important person into his house. He wanted to show off that he could have Jesus at his house. I don't know. Maybe he had Jesus come to his house because he was like Nicodemus, and he wanted to have more information from Jesus. He, he literally was in a, a blind stupor. He, he knew there was something, but he didn't know what it was. And he wanted to hear more from Jesus. We don't know. But we know that he had a party. And it was a Pharisee party. Now what do you think a Pharisee party was like? Well, maybe there were a lot of Pharisees there. I don't know. Or maybe there were some Pharisees and some Pharisee groupies. I don't know. But a Pharisee party would be a party with people in it who would be a lot like those people that were just referenced by Jesus as being the people who play the flutes when they should be mourning and who play the dirge when they should be rejoicing, the misdirecting people. That's who likely was at the party. And so they set up and had this party, and this woman finds out that Jesus was there. Well, she was an immoral woman. That's what the text says. We don't know what it means. She might have been a prostitute. She might have been uh, an adulteress. We don't know. But she was immoral, right? Right? 
She was a sinner. That's how it's designated in the text, and that's how it's designated by Simon. And so she sees this party, and she wants to be close to Jesus. She knows Jesus has something for her. She knows she needs him. She knows she's a sinner. She knows that what Jesus has particularly will help her as a sinner. And she's desperate. And so in the face of incredible odds, the fact that there are Pharisees or Pharisee groupies at the party who would stand in front of the door to keep her out of the kingdom of God, in face of those odds, she, the local sinner, comes into the house, pushes her way through, and puts herself at Jesus' feet. Now, he's, it says he's reclining, and she comes behind him and puts herself at his feet. So I'm not going to lay on the floor here to show you what that might look like. I'm guessing he's laying on his side, and his feet are out behind him. Okay? And so she comes, and she's taking care of his feet. She's weeping, and she's crying. And it's not those little trickle-down the tears, you know, because the trickle-down tears wouldn't be coming fast enough to deal with the cleaning and the washing of Jesus' feet. It's those projectile kinds of tears that you have when you really are crying. You know what I'm saying? It's amazing what our eyes can do. And so she's crying, and she's weeping, and she's washing his feet, and she's wiping them with her hair, and she's putting perfume on his feet and anointing his feet. He's life to her. He's life to her. Every hope she has is in this man. Every bit. She knows it. Because she knows how much she needs him. And she's desperate. Simon watches. Simon, the Pharisee, watches. And you can imagine this scene, and I, I don't know what to compare it to. If you try to think of comparisons, nothing really works. If you think of you know, Rush Limbaugh at the Democratic Convention, or it doesn't work, right? Nothing compares to this scene. I was thinking about a gourmet, like the local gourmet club president in Bloomington. And so the gourmet club president in Bloomington was having a special gourmet dinner. And all the gourmets in Bloomington were bringing their best French name dishes, right? And they were coming to this dinner, and the, the president invited a special uh, judge to come and judge the dishes. And the judges have uh, you know, gotten to be known as somebody with a, a real good palate who could understand the gourmet cuisine and could come and judge, rightly judge their dishes. And as the judge is there and all the dishes are on the table, somebody suddenly rushes in with a, with a skillet and lays the skillet on the table. And the, and the uh, president of the gourmet association is horrified because it's... Hamburger helper. And you can't make hamburger helper sound good by saying it in a French way. Hamburger helper. You understand? It's still the same stuff. And if you love hamburger helper and you think it's gourmet, just substitute whatever you think is beneath you. Okay? Hot pockets, I don't care. And so not only is he horrified by the presentation of the dish, but then he realizes that the guy he called in to be the special judge who's making him look good in front of all his friends, he's kind of hovering around the hamburger helper and around the person who made it. And he's engaging and he's eating hamburger helper and he's talking to that person as if they're a, a credible presenter at the event. And that doesn't do it justice, does it? 
We can't even begin to see it at that because we don't in that really see the depth of our own, uh, our own sin and the way in which we look at other people and despise them. The way at which we look at other people and we think ourselves above them. And we do, every one of us. Right? And so here's Simon and he's talking to himself. And he, and he's, and he says, if this guy were really a prophet, he would know that, 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 that. He's talking to himself. And then you have to smile at the irony of what happens next. Because what does the text say? He's talking to himself. And the next four words are, And Jesus answered him. (laughs) You've got a guy who's saying, could this guy be a prophet? And then Jesus responds to his thought. And Jesus answered him. And that's just fun. That's just fun. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher, say it. And so Jesus goes into the the parable of the money lender and the two debtors, one 500, one 50, who loves more, who's forgiven more, and Simon answers, and Jesus says, you have judged correctly. You have judged correctly. Now don't miss one particular dynamic of what happens next. And that dynamic is that then Jesus turns in his conversation with Simon, and he includes the entire dinner party. And it says he turned to the woman and said to Simon, so the woman may still be washing his feet, we don't know. He turned to the woman and he said to Simon in front of everybody, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who, has been, who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. And in verse 50, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Now there's a question that you should have when you read this text. And the question is, did Simon get forgiven? Have you thought of that? Did Simon the Pharisee get forgiven? And this goes back to that verse I said we were going to come back to. Well, I don't think Simon did get forgiven. I'll give you three reasons. One reason is Jesus did not pronounce Simon's sins as forgiven. He didn't do it. Secondly, there's no indication that Simon asked for or desired forgiveness or even acknowledged that he had sin in himself. And thirdly, I think it's implicit in the text that when Jesus says that he who is forgiven little loves little, And then he goes on to talk about the fact that the woman was forgiven. He says specifically, she, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. 
But he who is forgiven little loves little. Up to that point, he's been comparing the woman to Simon. Simon, you didn't do this, she did this. You didn't do this, she did this. You didn't do this, she did this. We get to this point, she gets this, but the one who doesn't. And I think at that point, it just becomes theoretical. What he's saying at that point is, he's not saying that there is such a man who needs a little forgiveness. He's saying that there are men who think they need a little forgiveness. And that they have nothing. And so Simon, in the end of this, Simon gets nothing. He gets a good dressing down in front of his friends. But what does the woman get? She went into a building. She was a sinner. She had nothing. She had nowhere to go. She had everything against her. She she had the whole community against her. She went into a building where she was with God incarnate, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, dwelling among us. She put her hair on his feet. She put her tears on his feet. She poured perfume on his feet. And then the God of the universe, the one through whom all creation came into existence, spoke this benediction to her. You are forgiven. And on top of that, she got to hear it with the incarnate mouth. She got to hear the reverberations of the sound as they came through the air to her ears in front of all of those people who were judging her. And she was forgiven. And Simon didn't have the slightest idea what he just missed, did he? He didn't have the slightest idea what he just missed. Luke 18, verse 9. And Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Now, was that Simon? I would say to you, yes, it was. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So remember what the Pharisee says. This should burn in all of our minds because we're always saying this ourselves. I thank you that I am not like other people. And that was Simon when he received those people into his home. He was thankful that he was not like that woman. And then you have the tax collector, and the tax collector goes off in the distance. He won't even come and stand where the Pharisee's standing. He won't even come and be near the people he thinks are good. He has to go off in the corner because he's so ashamed, and he won't lift his head up to God. He won't look up. He has his head down. He tears his shirt. He says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says that the tax collector goes away justified, forgiven, merciful application, and that the Pharisee goes away, like Simon, with nothing. Nothing. Jesus loves sinners. And that doesn't mean the Pharisee isn't one. 
It just means that he won't humble himself and acknowledge his sin before God. Simon was just like the immoral woman. You and I are just like the immoral woman. Simon was just like the tax collector. You and I are just like the tax collector. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. What Simon should have done is he should have washed Jesus' feet when he came into the door, begged him for mercy for his own sins to be forgiven, and then washed the feet of the woman and welcomed her into his home and allowed her access to the very Savior that could deliver her from her sins. And what the Pharisee in the temple should have done is gone over to the tax collector, put his arm around him and said, brother, me too. God, have mercy on us. Because it's there that God meets you and I. You and me. God, have mercy on us. We are sinners. We are sinners. We need God. We are the sinners. Our children need God. I was speaking to the children in the first service, and I was saying to them, you children, you are like the Pharisee. I remember when I was a child, I was like the Pharisee, and if I can do it, you can do it. Don't think for a minute that age keeps you from being the Pharisee. We are all of us at all times saying to ourselves in some way, I'm just glad I'm not like other people. And God, help us for that wickedness. And God, help us to posture ourselves in a different way so that we will present ourselves to our children and to one another as those who need his salvation and who are in need of his forgiveness. And that we will open the door and not obstruct the way to others who are wanting to come and receive his salvation and his forgiveness. Jesus loves sinners. He loves us, you and me. We are the sinners. We're the ones. We're the ones. James 4, 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. I can't help but think that when he says double-minded there, he means exactly what I'm talking about. The fact that with one hand we'll say we're sinners and with the other we'll say I'm thankful that I'm not like these other people. Get single-minded about it. You're like these other people. And so am I. What God wants from us is unconditional surrender. He wants us to just come in and say, I'm I'm the bottom of the heap. Have mercy on me. The best part of our fellowship is when we confess our sins. The best part of our fellowship is when we together affirm that we are wicked. It's like we're fighting to say, no, no, but I'm more, I'm more wicked than you. No, 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 you're, I'm more wicked than you. I mean, can you imagine? But the fact is that God loves us to humble ourselves before him. And he gives us his son who gives us forgiveness, pronounces forgiveness. Jesus loves sinners. There are only two categories of people. Sinners and sinners who lie 
and say they're not sinners. That's all. So come to Jesus. Admit your sin. Love him. Humble yourself before him. And after you've done that, help people in the door. Be the doorman to the kingdom and not the uh, barrier to it. Help them in. Because God wants them. He wants to be reconciled to them. And our job is to help them to be reconciled to him. And God help us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning that you do love sinners, that you suffer long with us. It's certainly true that we can't think of anything to bring to you that would, that would suffice as anything meritorious to cause you to say, yeah, yeah, you deserve my blessing. No, what we have is our sin. Every one of us, none of us better than the other. Oh, Father, help us. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves before you and receive your benediction. Help us to hear the words of Jesus pronounced over us. Your sins are forgiven. You are going away justified. Help us, O Father. Have mercy on us and give us love for one another, even as you have loved us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.